Welcome in. It is Louisville Bats franchise at 40, podcast celebrating 40 years of baseball returning to Louisville. Thanks for being with us. I'm Nick Curran. We appreciate you. However, you have found the podcast available on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and now available on Google Podcasts. So we appreciate you however you've checked it out. Uh, Give us a download, rate, review, subscribe. Uh, we, We certainly appreciate that if you could helping us out uh, if you enjoy it and uh, have been some great episodes so far if you go back into the archives uh, we talked to Greg Galliette Bats president in episode one we talked to former Bats president Gary Ulmer in episode two uh, great insight from those guys going back of course to the early days of the franchise and then as it sort of evolved and moved uh, from Cardinal Stadium to Louisville Slugger Field, some great stories and great memories shared by both of them. Uh, Today, uh, both of those episodes available in in the archives if you want to go back and download them. Today, we talked to someone who uh, came onto the scene after the team had moved to Louisville Slugger Field and get some more recent memories of this uh, Louisville Bats team. It is the former broadcaster, the former voice of the Bats, Matt Andrews. Uh, He started with the team in 2003 as the number two broadcaster with Jim Kelch, took over as the lead broadcaster in 2010 when Kelchy went full-time with the Reds and uh, continued on with the Bats till the middle of the 2016 season. Was a part of three straight International League West Division titles, the sweet three-peat, as it were, from 2008 to 2010. A lot of success, a lot of great faces and names and guys who will certainly uh, part of the the Bats lore that Matt had a chance to work with and some great stories uh, from him. And and looking forward to, to hearing all that, well, that he has from his time in Louisville. So Matt Andrews, our guest here today on the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. It is Louisville Bats franchise at 40. Our guest, as we talked about, the former voice of the Bats, my baseball broadcasting mentor, one Matt Andrews joining us here. How are you, sir? Well, I'm great, Nick, and it's awesome to be with you. And it's hard to believe 40 years. Uh, It seems like 82, I think, when the franchise came back, seemed so just yesterday. And as we, even as we lived it, some, you and I as well, and thanks for the very nice welcome. But as we lived it, it's like, that wasn't that long ago. And, and now here we are. And, and obviously, uh, as a, someone that was born in the early 80s, it's amazing that we're at this point. So, uh, but it's, it's awesome to be with you and reflect on uh, some of the best years of my life. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this because uh, you spent a, a lot of time here, and uh, I think we've gotten a lot of perspective from some of the earlier episodes of going back to Cardinal Stadium and kind of that time with the Redbirds. I think this will be great perspective of uh, of the bats and and the time here at Louisville Slugger Field, which is uh, which is a great era as well, beginning in 2000. Uh, Want to start with you before we jump into your time with the bats? Well, it'll go into your time with the bats, but but. Uh, tell folks how you wound up here. I know you, you did some work with the Chillicothe paints and, and that sort of thing, but, uh, but how did you end up working with Jim Kelch when you began with Louisville back in 2003? By the way, I try to wear my old bat shirt. So I'm not even sure if this is still the actual logo, but oh, it is. Uh, the lighting is so poor in here. This is a red shirt, not purple. So anyway, I've got the um, same shirt. I didn't wear it today. Though. Okay, great. 
Yeah. Uh, your Cardinal shirt does look nice. That's another story. But anyway, um, so I had a couple of opportunities to join, the, as you said, the Chillicothe Pains, and at the time, an independent Frontier League team uh, in Chillicothe, Ohio, which is about 30 miles from where I grew up and about another 30 minutes, so about an hour from Columbus. And uh, I had an opportunity after my freshman year of college to join them, but I already had a job lined up, and I wasn't ready for that. Following my uh, junior year of college, though, uh, that opportunity came along again, and I, I took the job and did the 82-game the summer season, short summer, which uh, began in late May and ended uh, in, in late August. And so as, as that had, had materialized, and I've been there a couple of years, uh, had a great time learning the, the baseball trade, I guess. You know, I'd always listen to it, but, but doing it, as you know, uh, getting the reps. And, and I felt like this is maybe something I'd like to angle off on down the line. So as I graduated my, um, from Ohio State, December of 2002, a little earlier, following that second year in Chillicothe, November of 2002, I got a, a phone call from our league commissioner, Bill Lee, who had hired Jim Kelch back in the early 80s for his first job in baseball at AA at Chattanooga. And Bill, as the commissioner, says, hey, uh, my buddy from Louisville, the Reds AAA team, and I think at the time they were the River Bats. Uh, actually, they had just maybe become the Bats. But anyway. That, that um, offseason. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so Jim uh, was looking for somebody to come down and do 20-ish or so games solo on the radio when he went to television uh, to do the, they had a couple different packages uh, at the time was Insight um, and also a Fox Sports Ohio package. So Jim would do TV, I'd fill in on the radio, do the home games. But Bill says, there's one catch. You got to come down there. And if you're going to get the job, and obviously, maybe an interview set up, we'll see. But you have to sell. And I'm like, sell what? Uh, you know, it was all new to me. Because all I did was the radio in Chillicothe. We didn't have game notes. I kept my own notes um, in a little binder. And on we went. So that kind of scared me a little bit. But I went down in November of 02, interview with Jim, interview with Graham Honecker, James Breeding. Sure, I met everybody else and, and still friends of mine today. Um, but I do remember during the interview, and Jim and I ended up having an interview and then lunch uh, at the time at Browning's, the restaurant there in the ballpark. Uh, spent a few nights there post-game two down the, down the road. But anyway, um, I remember, I guess I hadn't fully comprehended they were changing their name to the Bats. <laughs> So I remember mentioning the river bats and uh, didn't even think anything about it until later on after I got the job and Jim and I joked about it, but uh, I got hired. Uh, I was offered the job there in late November, early December and graduated from Ohio State within a week or two. Got a chance to go to um, Arizona and Tempe called the National Championship Fiesta Bowl for Ohio State and then started a week later in January of 03 in Louisville. And I was there from 03 to 16. and. Uh, uh, like I said, some of the best years of my life. Yeah, we'll we'll cover a lot of that and uh, what a stretch and what a what a time for you, Buckeyes upsetting the Hurricanes and then straight to straight to Louisville. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, I I think Jim tells the story at some point during that interview process that you all, or maybe Bill had told him that uh, that that you would be someone he could enjoy a cold beverage with too. 
and that helped sell him on you, which I think is perfect knowing you both. Well, I wasn't, but that's the thing. Like growing up, I didn't go out a bunch in college. I'd go home and do games, high school games back home where I was working. I didn't really even enjoy a cocktail until, you know, maybe that second year doing paints games. And, uh, but it's, but it sounds like, yes, that in, in order to, to be a prerequisite for the opportunity, uh, there may have been an adult beverage uh, consumed evolved, but uh, that's not, it's not too much of a thing now, but yeah, we, uh, we would enjoy ourselves for sure. No, that's, that's awesome. And uh, a lot of fun to talk to Jim about that uh, as well. Uh, well, you start out in 2003. Um, and I, I remember when I started um, with you, you were able to recount this perfectly and see if you still can. You remembered your, your like Jim handed it off to you for your first inning of, uh, of play by play. And you kind of remembered the exact situation. Yeah. Well, you have all the scorebooks down there. So I can't exactly tell you if he was hitting seventh or eighth, but so a little backstory here. Yes. And our former president, Gary Ulmer, who we appreciate all he's done for the organization, but Gary had no idea this number two radio guy was going to make the first road trip. Cause I was doing home games only had no idea. I was going to Toledo for the opener. But the new guy and getting a chance, because when we came home then, the first home series, the first home game was going to be televised. So they didn't want to throw me on there without having done a game with Jim. So Dale Owens okayed it, and I go on the trip, and, and I'm, it's the third inning in Toledo, and it's as cold as any game that you and I ever did together. It was in the 30s, and again, it's probably listed in that scorebook back in the uh, the 03 season, but uh, – Quirky Miller let off the top of the third for the Louisville Bats in Toledo. And that was the first batter I called in AAA. And ironically, Quirky, all these years later, still, still was involved. And obviously a huge part of that organization is number eight hangs there above the, the home plate concourse. But that was the, that was the first batter. The Bats won a, a really, really cold game. I remember the great Brian Bennett, who used to be a beat writer there for the Courier General, was on the beat and on the road. And this is great. You know, Triple A in Toledo came home. And in fact, I think I cut the trip off and went home before the bats returned because they went on to Columbus. And obviously, being from Columbus, I just like to go to Columbus. No, the young man, you've got to come back and sell. And and so I understand, did it. And uh then the home opener a few days later. Um and, and as I said, I was full on the radio with Jim Gaughan TV. That 03 year, um, mm. well, we'll get to that. I, I believe that was also the year where, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, the ridiculous rain delay with the ridiculously long game against Richmond, uh, I believe that was your first year, right? Was that, was that 2003? It was, and it's the first game my brother Dave and his wife, at the time, girlfriend, or fiance, girlfriend, Hallie, now his wife, uh, they were at the game. They came down for, a, I'm pretty sure, I don't know if it was a Thursday or Friday, but it was near the weekend because they stayed. And, and they were there. We had like a two-hour and 15-minute rain delay. Again, you can check the scorebook. It was a two-hour and 15-minute rain delay. At the time, the games were starting at 7.15. So we didn't even start the game to like 9.30. 
And then the game goes 18 innings, oh. the longest in franchise history at the time. And I'll never forget, uh, well, the bats ended up winning. And I think Mark Budzinski had a base hit to, to win the game. If not him, it was uh, Kevin Stefanski. But anyway, Mike Stefanski, I digress. The, the two teams flew the next day to Richmond to continue the series. And again, I don't know if that was a, I felt like it was a Friday or Saturday, which is weird. But then again, the travel in that, in that league was and still is weird. And that's a major problem in minor league baseball. But again, I digress. The, the game the next day at the Diamond was rained out and there was no game. So um, they, had, they ended up having a day off. But it was a, it was a brutal night. They laid in the back of the radio booth and took a nap as the uh, the delay is going on and the game continues to go. And the famous chicken, the San Diego chicken was there that night, and he continued to sign autographs even post-game on the concourse. It was amazing. Wow. I, I mean, that's one of the the great stories, I think. And you, you hear that game recounted by a number of folks. Charles talks about it every year. Charles Gadsaway, the, the Bats PA announcer. That comes up multiple times a year. Uh, whenever there's a rain delay at the ballpark. Dancing Carl got on the dugout top and did like two or three of his dances. And there were multiple seventh inning stretches and well, and we were just all, you know, then no, there was no starting runners at second base back there, Nick, believe it or not. No, then start a runner at second base at extra innings. That, but that, our commissioner today has better ideas. That, so. that, that is a new development. And I bet dancing Carl may have been the happiest person in the ballpark to get a few different shots at it uh, on that. Oh, time. no question. <laughs> uh, that, that 2003 season ended up being a division championship. Um, so your first year and a division win uh, kind of became a theme or your time with the bats has not been one with my time, but uh, 2003, uh, what do you remember about that? A, a division championship, your, your first year, that had to be a pretty amazing experience as, uh, as the team was, was able to, to get into the playoffs. Now, remember, you're still looking for a winning season, just, just to clarify. Yes, um, evidently. So it was a great year. The, the division championship, Dave Miley was the manager for half the year. Uh, Dave Miley gets called up to the Reds. We were with him the night before he got called to the big leagues, which is really cool. But the division champion was managed then by the interim manager, Rick Burleson, and they kind of jarred it up there down the stretch. And, and while they got in, they, they did succumb to Durham. Uh, I was privileged to be a part of Oh, three, eight, nine, and 10 division titles, all of which ended in a first round playoff loss to Durham. So that Durham became like the nemesis in my time. But uh, like I said, it was a year or two later, they had a winning year and they've not had one since. So hopefully that, that is coming soon, but the division championship, uh, you know, guys, you'll never forget that first team you were a member of or a part of. Uh, you know, not a member of, but uh, calling their games and and just some of those guys. But the Millers, the Stefanskis, the Chambleys, they all stick out. Aaron Holbert, I believe, was on that team. Uh, and again, it's uh, it's part of a, a great little slice of history there in the organization. But um, Dave Miley going to the big leagues, I think, though, was probably the highlight for everybody that year, because at the time it was Miles' first first trip to the bigs, aside from winning when he was, uh, was playing. Yeah. And got to, I got to, to meet him really for the first time 
during uh, the end of the 2021 season, uh, a 2001 Governor's Cup championship team reunion. Obviously, he managed that team, had a lot of success as the manager there in Louisville and at AAA with the Reds. But, uh, I mean, have heard plenty of stories uh, from Jim Kelch. I, I mean, just just an incredible character, I think, uh, Dave Miley and, and one of the <laughs> – one of the one of the great characters in in Louisville franchise history in terms of a manager and, and probably in in international league history for that matter. Yeah, and I was going to say in the league history, you're exactly right. It, wait, is it still called the International League? No, wait. Oh, anyway, that league uh, is actually history. So it's oh, all history. yeah. It's a damn shame. But anyway, um, Miles, man, anywhere you go, people had a story. Some good, some bad about him. A lot of people loved him. A lot of people couldn't stand being around him. We enjoyed his time. He, he always had it light. He'd always turn it back to you. You know, maybe he wanted a favor here and there. But when he'd come in with Scranton and Columbus and other teams, it was always a pleasure to see Dave. And, and when he's a part of your team and you can win with him, uh, and he was a hell of a manager, man. This guy, and I, I still feel like, kind of got a, a bit of a raw deal there by the Reds. But he did have an opportunity, which is – which is what people want, you know, they want to get to the big leagues and do what they do well. And, and he did that. And, and I know Dave and his wife, they're, they're still friends today. Uh, and, but yes, there are stories, um, you know, the, the great stories with a ton from Jim, uh, Jim Weber of the Mud Hens tells a lot of Miley stories. Uh, the, the real quick one from 03 that I'll share, Jim Kelch could not make the trip to Norfolk and um, we were in Norfolk and we went to Durham. And uh, because it happened in Durham, but Dave and Mac Jenkins, uh, former bats pitching coach, were were going to get some postgame wings in Durham. Hey, you want to go? Uh, well, sure. What what am I getting myself into? We roll in there and they go. They order a couple dozen wings and we're splitting them. Little did I know, Dave Dave wanted the hottest wing I've ever tasted in my life, and of course I wasn't prepared. So. Uh, but great stuff, good stories, good life. But that coaching staff now that year of Miles and Mac, Mac Jenkins, and then God rest his soul, Smokey Garrett, uh, who passed a few years ago. Uh, maybe it was last year. But anyway, did, all the time runs together here. But Smokey was hitting coach. And, and that that today is is still the, the most enjoyable staff I think I've ever been on and been around. I would imagine being your first year, uh, obviously an, an affiliated bright eyed. Yes. There was a lot for you to learn from those guys. Right. right? lot to learn, a lot of lessons learned. Uh, now a little bit of a, you know, as the number two guy, it was a little bit different for me because obviously I'm not on the road, all the games, but I didn't really fully take grasp of what all there was to learn in my capacity until in 10, when I took over in that lead chair when Jim went to Cincinnati, Jim Kelch and learned a lot, learned a lot, sometimes the hard way from Rick Sweet, but something I'll never, uh, never forget and always appreciate. Not a learn and learning things the hard way from Rick Sweet over the years. And uh, I think a lot of people appreciate those lessons. Want to jump forward to that, jumping around a little bit, but um, I know Jim had been filling in on some Reds broadcasts for a couple of years, and then he got the call to the big leagues in 2010 on a full-time basis, which meant uh, you were elevated to the lead chair here in Louisville in, in 2010. What do you remember uh, about that and Jim getting that call and, and then you were going to be kind of the guy um, after having been around for, for seven or so years? 
it's one of those things, Nick, where it's like still in the calendar on the day that it happened, you know, um, it changed my life. You know, I, I'm, uh, there was a time there in the late OOs where I had interviewed with some other teams for lead AAA jobs and wasn't sure entertain actually in, in the late OOs coming back to Columbus to be the number two guy for the Clippers and had talked to the Clippers about that. But, uh, as the good Lord does, he often opens doors. And I had an opportunity to stick around thanks to a basketball offseason assignment at Moorhead State with my friend Brian Hutchinson through knowing Dale Owens, who made a huge impact on my life out there, uh, reached out to me. And and had I not been offered that job, the timing was I'm, I may have I may have gone to Columbus at that time, but it didn't work. I stayed and I'm thankful I did because it's all, it's all paid off and worked out here. But that college basketball gig with Moorhead State allowed me then to, to realize that, hey, you gotta, you're close. Uh, Jim's close. Jim gets a call up. I, I move, move into that chair. Uh, the 2010, it was December, I believe, of 09 when, when that all shook down. Uh, in fact, I don't believe I know it was. And, and I remember the call from Jim and uh, first, that's the main thing, though, like him getting that moment and getting that call. We we thought it was happening. We thought it was happening multiple times. We didn't know with where, but thankfully, the Reds uh, saw the opportunity for Jim, and and he had a great run there. I wish he was still there, but it allowed me then to move into the lead chair, uh, and I was I was ready. I was ready for it. Was beyond ready for it uh, in terms of being anxious and ready to go. Um, uh, but it, it was it was the start of of a, a really good six seven years there as the leading guy, but ultimately I learned as I've told you a number of times. Ten was a division title year, which was part of that sweet three peat. Uh, Eleven was another winning year, the last in franchise history. So it's time for you. Uh, Twenty twelve was an absolute joy to be with David Bell, the Reds manager. Was there one year? Twelve. That team was terrible. They lost 93 games. It was the franchise record. Is it still? Yes. And he had one a few years ago that was close. But um, 93 losses in 12. There was a 16 out of 17 game stretch, I think, in August. And the grueling days, I just remember being Gwinnett. It was 100 degrees. And we all were doing is losing. And it was three weeks left. And he just wanted it to be over. And uh, David and I went to dinner, but still enjoyed his company. I always said it would be the best year to win with David Bell just once one year, one to win with David Bell as a manager. And now it's the Reds, which again, it's, it's all worked out well for him, but, but uh, that 12 year was brutal. And it, it burned me out. Like you find out how good of a broadcaster you are when your team stinks and when you're losing. And I found out, man, I got a lot of work to do because I was perturbed by it all. I'm sure folks could tell. I know the fans were, but it had nothing to do with the wins and losses. That's what bothered me earlier. So it's like, I need some help here, which is why we went to the bullpen and, and got you in there. And, and it's worked out, I think, well for you. I certainly enjoyed our, our years together, but it was just, I, I needed to be able to hit pause and turn it over to somebody else for the, some of the mid innings. And, and that worked well, but that 12 year was hard, man, really tough. And then our years together were certainly, certainly a joy as well. No, I, I couldn't have asked for anything better. And I would like to thank David Bell and that 2012 team for wearing you down. <laughs> uh, up here. Uh, fantastic. So you start in 03 as the number two guy. Your first year as the number one guy in 2010. Both are division titles. Obviously, you mentioned the back end of the, 
the sweet three Pete. And you talked about Rick sweet a little bit, but um, you know, he's a guy, the winningest manager ever in, in Louisville franchise history, going back to 1982, certainly a, a beloved figure and, and a notable one in this organization and uh, a guy that y- you talk to folks that have been around at the ballpark for a little bit of time, whether it's front office or, or maybe even ushers or, or whoever fans, um, they all are very fond of that guy. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fond memories of Rick sweet here, here in Louisville. He's a gentleman. He's, he's, uh, he's been in the game for a while. He knows everybody in the game. Uh, you know, you, you think of the dusty Baker snicker combo and the manager of the world series, Rick's friends with both of them. Um, and you think of snicker, that's a little bit of Rick really with the longevity there. Um, but there were always things to know. There were always things to learn. He would teach. He always, Nick, always had a hand on his team. There are a number of managers I've been around that that might have their hand on the pulse of the team, but really have no idea what's coming or how to anticipate or how to prepare for what's coming. But Rick would always use his knowledge from what he's hearing internally and prepare the path for what's coming for those guys, for other guys, and how he can have somebody ready. So I learned a ton about the game from Rick. I learned a lot. I hated it when he left, but but he did opt to go. And I know that the Reds have tried to get him back. And and uh, and I know Rick's probably entertained the idea, but he's with Milwaukee right now and good for the Brewers. I mean, there's no there's no mistake the Brewers win. They have good people uh, that, that that call those shots. Not that there aren't good people with the Reds, but but you've got a guy like Rick Swedish AAA affiliate in Nashville now. He's been all over. He knows the game. He is the game kind of. Um, I still see him. We when he came to Columbus here this year, we met up for breakfast, had a great conversation and catch up. His son is, is was around the bats as a, as a youngster, and now he's like playing college ball at Kansas uh, and doing well. So, uh, but a lot of a lot of tough love from Rick at times, but a lot of respect, a lot of a lot of current love for for what that guy helped me with, uh, and and others, many others, thousands of others, I'm sure in the game at the minor league level, which is, you know, and what we're seeing and now coming to light is completely, completely different than what they do at the big league level. Completely. The game's the same. The principles are not. No, not even close. That's exactly right. And I, I think the, you've talked about it. The differences are getting more and more pronounced as, uh, as the years go with all the changes. Uh, another guy who, um, you had a chance to work with a lot who was around this organization a lot, eventually got his call back to the big leagues, which was uh, awesome and made everyone happy here was, was Ted power, the longtime pitching coach of the bats. And, and uh, he's another guy um, who, you know, I got to know a little bit as the number two broadcaster, but, but he had just an incredibly vast amount of knowledge to share. There's no doubt. There were, you remember, and you may not remember, there, there were, there was some question at the time when he was hired as a pitching coach here, if he even wanted to do pitching coach stuff, because he was not involved as a pitching coach or coordinator, but, but he comes here and, and he made a difference with almost every pitcher we saw when they'd go up, whether they'd come back, the trust he had with his pitchers was incredible. The stories, the, the the magnificent stories of his playing time. You know, Ted Power was starting for the Pirates in a fill-in in the LCS in 90 when my Reds are winning the 
the pennant. That that blew my mind away. Like, wait, you pitched against them. But I had known that Teddy pitched for the Reds, obviously, prior to that. But, you know, as a, as a kid growing up watching him in the late 80s pitch for Cincinnati, he he had a way, again, much like Rick Sweet, of, of knowing in advance pitching thoughts, perspectives, how to help these guys, whether they were struggling or whether they were at the top of their game. And, I, we, you know, we thought for years he'd be up there almost immediately. But I think they did value what he was doing with these younger guys and, and guys that were, whether they were malcontent coming back or on their way up, they valued him here. But that night in 16, when I left the bats and, and Ted was immediately there and he says, hey, come down. I got something in the clubhouse for you afterwards. And still to this day, a, a moment I'll never forget, appreciate him. But, but it was just days later, I believe, yeah. when you had taken the reins and, uh, you know, Ted gets that call to the big leagues when they jumbled things up so much. Uh, phenomenal to see him get his, his chance at coaching in the major leagues. And a great guy, funny guy. A lot of, lot of good stuff. A lot of stories we'll not talk about right now. Indeed. Indeed. Fair. But, uh, yeah, fair. Uh, but but uh, I will say, and I think it was July 4th, actually, of that year, he got the call to the big leagues when they when they made some changes. Uh, you know, so literally like a week after you left. And, and, and I will say, um, maybe stories we can't tell, but, but his temperament, I think, was perfect for uh, AAA, right? Like, he, he just, he had this way about him, at least in, in my experience, and, and you knew him better than me, but uh, he had this way about him when he was here where, um, you know, if, if there was a malcontent coming down, as you said, if, if someone who was disappointed to be being sent down, if it was a guy on his way up, I, I think he had a great way of sort of humbling guys, but keeping a smile on their face. Or if someone was coming down, I think he had a really nice way of encouraging them. Like he just had the, the temperament to handle any sort of personality. And I, I thought that was incredible. It's exactly right. And he always was good natured, lighthearted. There's, there's a, a small story here I'll share. And whatever, they're not with the Reds anymore, so I don't mind it. But there was a rehab assignment, 15 or 16, late in my time here, when they had Vado and Latos join them in Rhode Island, in, in Pawtucket, for a, a rehab. And those two showed up, and it was right after Latos. <laughs> had made the comment about being a puppet, you know, being a puppet for the Reds, he felt like. Something that was similar to that fact. Well, Ted immediately wanted the clubby to go find a puppet and, and get that puppet and, you know, just kind of keeping the mood light. And as, as they showed up, there it was or whatever. And I remember being in the clubhouse, but he always kept it lighthearted. As you said, he had a way of, of, of being perfect for that AAA level. I mean, that is fantastic stuff. And how could anyone not smile if, if you see the, the puppet show? Right. I think that's, that's perfect. Um, Want to kind of jump to some, some various uh, people and, and, uh, and, and, and moments from your time. We've done it a little bit, but from, from your time. And uh, you mentioned him earlier, but the late Dale Owens, I, I know is, uh, you know, the, the longtime GM here uh, of this Louisville team and, and a guy that, that meant uh, a lot to you. One of the reasons I, I got the job, I mean, at least was a GM that, that ultimately signed off on the hiring and gave me an opportunity. And as I got better and the years went, 
you really saw Dale appreciate that. And, uh, and I appreciated him being there for my mistakes and, and understanding. But the thing about Dale Owens, and, you know, to this day, I still talk with his family some. That guy always had the finger on the pulse of the organization, whether the marketing guy or the ops guy or the press media guy or the radio guys or the cleaning crew, whoever, the staff, the sales director, whoever, whether they got a little off kilter with maybe either power or something they were doing or thought about doing, they'll always balance that out. I, and I felt like more so than anybody there, you know, we joke about the professor of promotions, Greg Galliette, who now apparently uh, is accelerated to the president level. So congrats to Greg, but Dale always had a check and balance for, for the departments. And I felt like our organization was at its all time peak, at least in my time there when, when Dale was, was right in the middle of it. Great relationships with people, would have fun. But when it was time to be serious, it was it was serious. We had a hellacious thunder party, either 03 or 04, that, again, stories we will not tell on this uh, segment. But great times. And, and Dale and, and everybody, they were all right there. And it was just it's something something that was unique to us. Um, and, you know, and, and you think about Dale's passing and now just we're a few days removed from as we record this from the, the passing of the great GM from Indianapolis, Cal Burleson, who had a great impact on their organization. So it's, it's crazy how time goes, but people that really have impacted what their organizations have stood for. And, and for that Dale was, will always be right here in my heart. And, and certainly a lot of lives. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah. I want to also talk about while we're on the front office a little bit, um, she's come up in, in past episodes, but, but Mary, queen? the queen, the queen indeed. Yes. Uh, I, I obviously never, she was, she was gone before my time here as was Dale, unfortunately, but, uh, everyone has uh, a Mary Barney story or, or, or moment that they know, or just knowing her players, coaches, front office, it doesn't matter. Everyone knew Mary. Mary, literally, the queen of baseball was her was her name and her nickname. And um, I hope she's doing well. I haven't talked to her for a while. But anyway, Mary is um, Mary is someone that at the tail end of her career there was kind of the beginning of, of my time in Louisville. And and uh, the, the, the memories there, the ones that stand out in the office, obviously, she had the office. Um, down at the end of the hallway and so you get on see mary and she always had m&ms uh mary always had the company christmas party when we had christmas parties um and that was epic stuff epic stuff um mary and and her time uh as the, as the director of baseball ops and then she she departs and, and earl the great earl stubblefield took over for her but uh, but amazing time with Mary. There was a Mary had never been at the end of her tenure. She'd never been to Toledo for a, a series, as I understand. And I happened to be driving up during the weekend to catch the games with Jim. So Mary rode along with me, and uh, she stayed there for the weekend and, and enjoyed it and rode back. But on the way, I stopped and saw my grandparents in Western Ohio on the Web 75, and so Mary got to meet them and had 
we had lunch and they, they're always asking about Mary and Mary, as long as I would see her, how are your grandparents? So a real kind lady, a real, a real awesome person and, and someone, man, you talk about stories now. She can tell some stories from the game, from the winter meetings. She, she had many, many contact and, and a very important person, not only uh, in the organization, but in Louisville baseball history. No, no doubt. And, and if for no other reason, I am sorry I missed her time here because I would have enjoyed, I would have been hammering some M&Ms. Um, I'm pretty sure that would have probably been pretty expensive for, for all involved. Uh, on the field, you had a chance, you, you talked a little bit, obviously you talked a lot about Rick Sweet, uh, and you mentioned a little bit about that one year with David Bell. Uh, he was only the manager in Louisville, as you mentioned, for that one year. It, it happened to be the, the franchise record for most losses, but um, he made an impact on people here in that one year. Uh, there is not a person that will say a bad word about David Bell in his, uh, his 2012 year, despite a 51 and 93 record on the field. Yeah. I talked to people today, the, uh, you know, our buddy, Nick Evans, uh, Josh Hargraves, uh, Carrie Farrell, now Finky, Sarah Norman. We, we talked about that year with David and how he handled people, how he treated people. And despite, as we said, the losing, he knew about development. And, and I'll never forget where I was when he called me that off season to tell me he was taking uh, a job at the Cardinals uh, in, in their front office. And it kind of crushed me. I'm thinking, man, one year it was a tough year. We'd love to have another one. Uh, but that paved the way for Delino, the Shields uh, to, to come along. And uh, well, actually, was it Riggleman or Delano? Yeah, Riggleman first. Riggleman first. I'm sorry, Jim Riggleman then. And uh, yeah, but but to have David a part of the organization for the the one year, you know, he he did he did a lot of things outside of the office where you knew he appreciated what was going on and cared for for the people that worked with him. You know, a lot of times the the front office small people whatever they are, what they are to, to these guys that are in the game day in and day out. Uh, but it never appeared that way to David, who always just seemed to value the time, asked how you, how you were doing. Uh, not that these other people didn't, but it was just, it was something that, but yeah, I had a heck of a dinner with, with David and, uh, and, and Nick and Josh. Uh, Chad Fisher may have been with us, but we had a, had a great dinner there postseason in Louisville and it just kind of, it was really kind of the last thing we all did it together prior to him moving on to the other organization. That's uh, that's really cool. And, and a really unique thing is, as you talked about um, with, with DB moving on Jim Riggleman, uh, Riggleman yeah. in 2013, which was my first year. He was, uh, he was the manager of the bats for a couple of years, really unique guy and really unique path to be the manager here had been in the big leagues. And then, um, you know, had, had sort of a falling out there in, in DC and ended up uh, managing in double a for the reds and then progressed to triple a and, and was with Louisville a, a couple of years and then ended up on the, on the big league coaching staff. But uh, he's a guy that, uh, well, I didn't work with all that much as the number two guy I talked to him a little bit, but not, not certainly as close as you did. And I still remember him coming back for on the staff for an exhibition game in like 17 or something. I didn't think he'd even remember me. And he said, Oh, how are you doing? If you ever need anything, give me a wrap. Like he still remembered. And I thought that was really cool. And uh, he was, he, he was a pretty cool cat. Man. You talk about a guy with incredible baseball history, mostly at the big league level, 
that's what made it so fascinating. I mean, here he comes in with all these stories. I mean, all these teams he's managed and, and some of them playoff teams. I mean, this is a guy that, that lived and died and breathed the game. I'd, I'd wake up at 3 a.m. on a bus. We're in the middle of nowhere, Virginia. And it's like, oh, where are we? And there's Riggleman up front on our computer reading minor league box scores, you know, of, of up-and-comers. I'm like, dude, sleep. Go to sleep. You know, and uh, nah, nah, I'm reading about the game. And uh, all sorts of, of good knowledge from Jim. Learned a lot from Jim as well. Uh, probably, probably similar to what Rick Sweet helped me with in the game, and just, but, but Riggleman always had a unique perspective, and you know, you'd ask him a question, and he, he'd always give you a little snippet, and, uh, but, but was, was here in position, uh, and, and did, as you said, go on to help Cincinnati a little bit, and, and has toiled around in the big leagues, uh, for a couple of different teams since, but I believe now is out of the game, but still talk to Jim every now and then, and, uh, Jim's a huge, huge college football fan. He may not show it much, but he's always asking, uh, well, what's the best Buckeye game I need to get to? I, mean, I don't know if he's ever been to one. but uh, And then um, uh, but, but whenever we'd go northeast, Jim's buddies would always show up from his time at Frostburg State. Uh, and and that, that was always, shall we say, interesting. No doubt about it. Some, uh, some a squad getting back together. Uh, as – as Riggleman moved on and, and mentioned, uh, ended up on the big league staff with the Reds, uh, Delano DeShields took over as the bats manager after uh, a stint of his own kind of coming up the organization, uh, took over as the bats manager in 2015. He's a guy that I got to know well, and, and uh, he's the guy that taught me uh, a lot about the game and, and uh, just a, a great man that, that I really enjoyed being around. But uh, uh, he, he was – you know, I think just the, the knowledge he has, and I think that's one of the things we, you know, Riggleman and I think Rick Sweet and Dave Miley, guys that had this old school perspective of the game that I think is really cool and really refreshing in this age of uh, analytics and, and all that. Um, I, I really enjoyed just hearing Delino's stories and, and, and his perspective on, on what was going on in the field and, and telling me the next day why he did what he did and, and different things like that. I just thought um, learning from him was, was an amazing experience. Yeah, I agree. And, and he, he was a little out of the box with some of the thinking, but I think that made it what, what made it so refreshing and unique. You appreciate it. You didn't want to hear the company line. He, he'd give it to you as he thought, uh, you know, the, the guy they called Bob who, and I didn't get it initially, but, and then if you think back on his career and, and then his son, uh, and obviously this year with, was with the Reds as well, but, but Delano's up there in the big leagues where he belongs. I, I don't think any of us thought when Delano was here for, was it two years, a little more than that with me, uh, that he was going to last long in the minors. That's a major league coach. And, and we've seen that. And maybe he's a major league manager, but he's not there yet. But, but to, to be the, the, the coach on the, a big league staff, you knew that was, I think eminent, but a great presence certainly to have in that clubhouse and around the guys. Um, I, I feel like while it's important that he played the game and was able to, to lead at the triple A level from that perspective, from his managerial time or from his uh, major league time, um, that's not the end all be all, but I think it was important with, with the lineup and a great example. Yeah. Fantastic. War number 90. That was the year he debuted, which was extremely unique. And, I remember the running joke was he would always talk about how everyone he worked with ended up in the big leagues. And uh, 
he was, he was just waiting for that shot to finally come back his way. And it was awesome when it, when it did. And, and now on David Bell's staff, uh, really, really great to see that and, and couldn't have been happier. Um, here's a guy that is going to be mad that he's brought up, but I will, uh, because he's another guy that's influenced me a ton. Uh, and I think you had a chance to, to obviously work with him for a solid year and a half, but, uh, I can't thank him enough for everything he's done for me. And that is Steve Gober. The bats, uh, the bats trainer who took over in 2015, uh, had been in the big leagues with the nationals has done just about everything there is to do as a baseball trainer. And, um, I, I, I don't, trainer. I, I haven't worked with other trainers, but I can't imagine uh, there's anyone as unique and as awesome as uh, as it is to to be around Gopes. Trainer, as we call him, radio, as he calls us. Yes. Yeah, Steve. Um, and I went around him long. I mean, we had a little bit of time there together. I guess it was a little over a year. And I worked with about six different trainers in those 13 years in Louisville, uh, and they're all impactful. But uh, Steve, Steve. Um, as somebody that had been in the big leagues to your point. So he, he knows the ins and outs and the nuances and, and how to handle it. But um, you know, there was nothing quite more annoying than hearing from trainer uh, in the sixth inning, needing a room that night. Well, I'm working too. So we'll figure it out together as opposed to I'll do it or you'll do it. But yes, that's not getting done during my 92nd or 122nd. uh, uh, pitching change break it's just not happening right now so i know you need a room and we'll get there but that, that was always kind of the the, the ongoing joke but steve uh, and yourself this past year really hooked me up and helped me out with the current bats because they for the first time visited uh, des moines iowa my brother and his family out there some of my nephews loved getting to meet um, some of the reds farmhands and and some of the uh, iowa uh, the chicago cubs farmhands and and Steve was, was integral in that as you were. And uh, that's appreciated, but uh, the trainers, the people, the strength coaches, uh, you know, I think a Gabe Moreno who was with the bats forever, a friend of mine. And um, you know, those are important people, Jimmy Maddox, Steve Bauman, on and on and on. Um, people that were, were very impactful. Yeah. They, they're unsung heroes. I think that's right. Of, of the minor leagues uh, on the player side few guys that that obviously stand out you mentioned Corky a little bit earlier he's he's the guy he's got the number eight retired uh, a fixture here in Louisville and uh you got to know him pretty well over the years and uh man another very unique personality I think in in the history of this franchise no doubt I'll throw a few names out there of of guys that I still keep in touch with or or uh you know were impactful there in my time, but, but Corky's right at the top of that list. Uh, Aaron Holbert, very early, obviously Christopher Negron, the man we deem Spider-Man and his family. Um, you know, some of these guys, they don't want to get to know you. They don't want any part of you. And you frankly, sometimes feel the same way, but it's your job to, to know them, tell their story and, and, uh, and be a part of, of the story of the, of the Louisville team. Um, Matt Maloney and I still keep it in touch. He lives here in Columbus as well. Just heard from Chris Valenka, the new hitting coach for the uh, Guardians. He almost did it. Uh, but he's living here in Columbus now. So I look forward to catching up with him. Um, obviously, old man Chad Reinecke down there in, in Louisville, who I think has still made his home there. Um, your your uh, 
your new radio partner and on air barn. Uh, so a lot of those guys are, you know, they're just right there at the top of your, of your list in terms of guys you appreciate in their time there and how they treated you and I, um, people they didn't have to go out of their way for, but often did. Yeah. Um, echo those sentiments as well. And, uh, Negro, now the manager at Tacoma, they won the triple a West as it were, uh, this year, the best record in the regular season in that league. Uh, so that's pretty cool in his first year. Um, the, the travel, you touched on it a little bit earlier. Uh, this year, things have well, changed with every Monday being off. So um, a little bit different. And, and in the past years, it had gradually gotten like less and less with less games. And so got a little bit better. But but the uh, the, the travel is, is a part of this job that does become a grind, especially if you're in the midst of a 93 loss season and, and it's 100 degrees, as you mentioned, in Gwinnett or whatever the case may be. But um, do you have any good uh, travel stories that sort of stand out off the top of your head from your time? Because there are, um, I don't know, everybody's got one that's done this for any period of time that something weird happened or, you know, something goes wrong, something, whatever the case may be. Um, is there anything that stands out from your years on, on the bus as it were? <laughs> Oh, the bus, the overnight buses, at times you love them, at times you hated them. Sometimes you'd rather bus overnight or sometimes you'd rather fly early in the morning. Uh, it was always, as somebody that handled the travel on the road, it was always my fault when we get in on a layover flight at 10, 30, 11 in the morning, the rooms weren't open, weren't ready. Well, people stayed there last night. They had to clean them, you know, so that was always a grind. Um, just the, the travel really did become a, a bit of a wear for me. I was, it was just... Uh, there was a, a trip home from Pawtucket one time where we had to catch a flight at like 5.30 for after a one o'clock game. So that was a great sprint. We ended up getting it done. But anybody would, would make that sprint to be able to be in your bed at home that night as opposed to either flying or on a bus somewhere or getting up the next morning. Um, there were a few years, Nick, well before you had arrived, I think maybe, oh, four, five, six-ish, uh, where where – the team banned a lot of their equipment to a few of these cities, to Norfolk, to Richmond, to Durham. And uh, my old roommate at the time, an employee there, Joel Kameyer and I would drive it. We'd drive the equipment. We'd leave after the home game at 1030 and drive it all night and get it there. But it was an opportunity for me to do games. And that's what was important to have some innings. Um, if I take the, the overnight drive and, and it was great. Um, so yeah, there were, there were some, some wild wacky stories, but man, having those Mondays off, it's gotta be significant. I mean, cause in the height of the 144 game schedule, you're dealing with aside from the all-star break five off days all year, maybe six. So and then, and then obviously there were the, the moments when they do ridiculous day night double headers. And, you know, if it were my rule in that league, you wouldn't start a Sunday game after four o'clock. And that way you've got nobody scampering around trying to travel on Monday morning, but whatever it's, it's all about the money. I get it. Looking at you, Durham, Omaha, Nashville. Uh, but yeah. Hey, Louisville used to do it now. Wear it. 
well, we, we, we did, but we've changed our ways. We, we got that done. If there's one lasting thing in this place, uh, I'll take some credit. Speaking of, you have an office. How did you get that office? That's very impressive. I don't know. Uh, I, there, I know a number of radio guys that never had the office there. Well, I do too. Uh, I think, I think a number of radio guys didn't survive uh, a president who was not going to hire them back like I did, I think. And that's why you're, I have you're busting your butt, buddy. I'm really thrilled for you. This is a, this is a triumph. Uh, a couple of moments from, uh, from, from your time. Well, and, and they skew toward, uh, toward, well, when I was here too, because there's stuff that, that I remember. Um, my first game was opening night, 2013, April 4th. I'll never forget it. Uh, Felix Perez hit a walk-off home run to lift the bats to a win. Uh, what do you remember about, that was a crazy time for you, but what do you remember about that night? Well, I do remember, I really liked the call. <laughs> I remember it was a, a very dramatic opening that home run and I enjoyed the moment. And then leading up to, and immediately after, I was on my way to New Orleans to call the women's final four in UofL's second uh, national semifinal appearance. So that was a blur you covered in year one. Uh, the next five straight home games, I think, solo. So tip of the cap to you. But that was a fun opening night. Um, it sticks out as one of like the, the most fulfilled moments professionally still of my career. That, that span of about a week and a half with, because once we got home, we hit the road the next day from Toledo. <laughs> so that was, that was certainly, and then uh, j just a moment good crowd that night. So it was great. The end of that year kind of bookended by incredible stuff. Uh, Labor day, 2013 closing day was, was a pretty incredible ending as well. Dennis Phipps, right? Yes. The grand slam to left to walk off the bats over Indianapolis. And they had a big lead in that game. Uh, there was a, and I'm not sure if it was that game or a year or two later where there was another walk-off bats home run to beat the tribe, which ultimately cost them a spot in the standings. I think it cost them either a division title and put them as a wild card, um, or maybe something else happened with that. But yeah, the, the walk-off home runs are great. I'll, I'll bring one up for you. The uh, how about the combined no hitter in Toledo? We call that was actually right next on my list here, right uh, before the All Star break. The uh, the only nine inning it was on uh, July twelfth of twenty fifteen. The only nine inning no hitter in franchise history. We were there. You you had the call of it. Um, the most bizarre thing ever. It was uh, Tony Singrani, David Holmberg, and Sam Lecure, the three pitchers that combined on the no no. Um, surreal. Lefty, lefty, righty, if I remember correctly. Correct. And yes. yeah, Sam Lecure, current member of the Reds broadcast team, of course, as well. And so bizarre because it was a no hitter. Everyone celebrates a no hitter franchise history of course but it was also all-star break getaway day so everyone's getting the hell out of there to go to go wherever they're going and um that was just a, a crazy day because, for a no-hitter to happen it was crazy i remember coming back to my uh, folks home in central ohio uh that night like and just wanted to get there but well, what just happened and it's the first time and I still think it is to this day, the first and only time it's happened in franchise history. Uh, but 
and, and with it being a combined no hitter, people viewed it differently. Well, it's not really a no hitter. Fine, it felt like it. It was, and I just remember you're in the booth with me there, and I'm, I'm, I remember. Go ahead. Well, let's let we'll call him out. There's there's one person in particular that said that, and I think it was Jim Weber, the voice of the Mud Hens, that said, "Well, it was a combined." Oh, no-. dude. You know. Well, well, I mean, come on, come on, Webb. It's a it's a no no. Sorry, I, I I mean that was yeah. Well, I kept thinking, and I remember hitting mute, turning to you with the last batter up there. I said, hey, do you have a video of your phone? Can you video this or get a snapshot of this? Or we need pictures, something to document this. And, you know, that's the not to go. Would never say it on the air because as, well, I don't believe in the broadcaster's jinx. And I don't think you do either, but I don't believe in it. Uh, the, the listener needs to know what's going on. So we were talking about it. And uh uh, but yeah, we, we we had that moment. It was it was really cool there in Toledo. Toledo's been some of the the greatest moments for my time in Louisville. That 08 title run of three straight division titles started with the big rally up there that year on Adam Rosado's homer. We talked about that a lot as the years go. But uh, Toledo's always a fun place for the bats to visit. Oh, love Toledo, and uh, I think you, what's that? Do you love Toledo? I do. Okay. Will I enjoy the- calling. Ga- I enjoy calling games there. I enjoy the people. I enjoy the food. I enjoy the people too. And now I enjoy the hotel. It's changed. It's yeah, it ain't no park in. I can guarantee that. That it is not. <laughs> um, but going back to that no hitter, uh, you told me to video it. I think I was still rocking a flip phone at the time, which always made you frustrated because it was difficult for me to get lineups from you when you would text them. And uh, I think, <laughs> I think I tried to take a video, but I, I, I mean whatever the flip phone video was. So I don't think we got a picture. We got a pick. Yeah. I think there was a pick, but, but uh, pretty, pretty tough photo. And, um, and then I remember uh, Cincinnati was hosting the all-star game that year. So you were going there. You mentioned going to your parents' house. I drove back to Louisville and then rode up to Cincinnati the next day to help work the all-star game with the Reds. I hit the road. You were going to go. I know after that, just again, the bazaar is like, what do we do? Uh, No hitter. You were going to go. I think uh, I think talk to Ted Power and sort of interview him about about the no no uh, right after the game and and uh, just uh, it was it was so crazy and, and so surreal. Uh, someone's calling my phone. I have to hit ignore on this real quick. We'll try to do that. Well, at least you get the privacy of an office. To take that call. There we go. Yeah, exactly. We just sent it to voicemail. It was Chris Robinson. Sorry, Chris. Uh, but I, I think. Um, just, just amazing. Like you went down to talk to Ted. I, I think, did you have him sign the scorebook too? I, I think that was a thing you were going to maybe try to get the guys. I mean, because that's something that just doesn't happen. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that he ever signed the scorebook, but I remember getting an interview. And at the time, as you know, the Reds network likes oh yeah features and stuff. So send that audio to them and maybe they'll use it. Maybe they won't, whatever they need you or whatever they need, send it. And I remember doing that, but. I, but again, like, I feel like it got lost in the moment of obviously getaway day and the multiple pitchers perspective of it. Yeah. And they probably would even count it today if you were keeping record of things. I mean, based on the way they've clarified what is and what is not constituted as no hitters. As long as it goes nine, I think it's a no hitter. If it's is that seven, how it works now, I, I know ba- baseball for 150 years of, of history, they've changed some stuff, which so, is fine, I guess. I guess. Sorry, Larry Lubers. Apparently, you don't get credit for the only single pitcher no hitter in Louisville history, according today's uh, to today's 
just kidding. I'm, I'm hoping he'll be a future guest on this podcast. Um, the uh, another memory that stands out for me uh, was was your last broadcast. It was against Buffalo uh, here at Louisville Slugger Field on June 29th of 2016. Uh, that's when you had gotten the job there in Columbus at Ohio State, and and you called that game and then and then signed off for the final time. That's a night I'll definitely never forget. Same buddy. It was, it still is a little emotional. Um, you put together a nice tribute from people around the league, which I, my folks were there. Um, the friends, the people, the relationships. And I had a chance just to reflect on that a couple months ago and, and just seeing some pictures and, uh, it still chokes me up a bit. It wasn't at all about the game, uh, whether they won or lost. It was just about getting through it, really. And uh, and I struggled in that sign-off. But that was that was my home for 13 years, and that's what made it really hard. Not as bad as I struggled on the sign-off. Sorry. So, and then um, and then when, when, when I sign off and I say goodnight and turn off the equipment, and uh, I turn around, I walk out the door, you know, maybe uh, there's just people back there. And uh, it was, it was very humbling, very hard, but uh, amazing memories. It was an easy decision for me to leave, come home, but I'm, I'm glad I'm here now. I'm, I've enjoyed working here. In fact, we record this tonight. I'll open my sixth season calling OSU hoops, which that's more than I called Louisville in five years. And, uh, all the all the baseball memories and so it's Louisville's not home now but it still there's a major part of me that feels like it's where you know a lot of the people I still really appreciate and love and memories I have are firmly there yeah I, I think uh, folks here feel the same way I, I know I do and uh, just a incredible run uh, that night I still have my blue shirt my green shirt my red shirt yeah. But I have been doing some Clippers games for them uh, in a limited basis. And I've also got a few of those shirts too. So sorry. Oh. Uh, start a collection. Um, Buff- Buffalo is here. Ben Wagner, Duke McGuire. So that was awesome. They're broadcasters. Uh, Gwinnett was going to be in the next night uh, starting a series. Tony Schiavone showed up at your final game, which was a pretty big deal. Uh, I thought that, that Tony came out to it. Uh, they no hit your butts the next night. It's your fault. We did get no hit the following night, a three pitcher combined Gwinnett no hitter. Um, Rob Wooten started the game who ended up being a bat a couple of years later and ended and is now the, uh, the pitching coach at double a in Chattanooga for the reds. Uh, he, and then two other guys polished off a no hitter. Uh, Delino the next day when I walked into his <laughs> office, just looked at me and said, well, hell of a debut. I was like, <laughs> yep, that sure was. That was a tough one, but uh, it was, it was, it was an amazing night. And, and that's, you know, it, just so many memories and, and uh, we'll wrap things up here. Uh, there, there was so much that happened and uh, I know it's tough to do it justice for your incredible span here over, over, over an hour or so, but I think we covered a lot of ground and, and um, you, you know, you, you talked about the, the people here and, and how this is, you know, always going to be uh you know, sort of home for you. And if not, you know, where you are originally from, but, but this has certainly become, uh, become a spot. I, I, 
I can't thank you enough for everything you've uh, you've done for me. And, and certainly I wouldn't be doing this right now if, if not for you. And um, really happy to, to be able to, to have you. You're, you're one of the, the instrumental figures, I think, of this franchise. Uh, there, there haven't been a ton of radio voices. And uh, you and Kelchi are the two that, that were around the longest. And uh, we haven't talked about Jim much, but want to sort of close with that. Uh, working with Jim and, and, and you know, a, a lot of years from 03 through that 09 season before you sort of took over solo in 2010, um, I, you know, I, I feel like it's a unique situation here because, you know, Jim was here for so long, starting in 1989, and then a lot of knowledge he sort of passed down to you, and then that same stuff you sort of passed down t- to me. And I, I thought when I – worked with Jim Moore a couple of years ago and got to know him. It was like not missing a beat because it was all the same stuff. And it was, it was just amazing. Like, like just the, just the pipeline and, and how that's worked. I, I, just, just working with him and, and everything he sort of uh, taught you and, and, and what that was like. Well, Jim was kind of like a father slash big brother figure. I know that makes no sense, but no, it, um, it, it actually it was, little, make sense. it was a little bit of, of, um, I, lo- I learned significantly professionally from him as much as anybody in my career, um, how to do the game, how to be better, how to learn, how to, how to accept criticism, how to, how to be positive, how to do this, to not do that. Um, but it was never, it was never personal. I mean, it was always very personal, but it was never negative personal. Um, but professionally, was just was was my my lead, and I and I'm glad to hear that. Hopefully, some of that has helped you when when you've taken uh, the position. But and now you're certainly just fine, uh, Jim. Jim deserved beyond anything I've ever been a part of to be a part of a major league organization. I'm thankful for his time doing that. I'm sick it ended and how it ended. I'll never figure that out. There were people I believe that were not forthright and truthful to him. But anyway, um, I'm thankful for what he was able to get done with the Reds. And while the Reds are my team, uh, Jim Kelch was one of their one of their main guys, you know, and so that was always cool for me. Um, but we're in great hands, man. You're leading the way, and there'll be a day when you'll show the next guy, and, and that's what's important. There's there's quite a list of names in that book of, of, you know, you start with back in the 82s, and you've got them all there, and you know it. But uh, what what a, what is important to me now as we get into this time, and we saw a little in COVID is, like, even on TV last night, they're not sending broadcasters for games, like, we don't need to be there. We need these guys to go be a part of it, be a part of their team and, and be able to tell the story. And that's the tradition. I hope we can withstand, uphold a tradition. I know guys like Dale Owens, Greg Galliette will be very, very happy and appreciative with and, and of, and uh, so you're doing a hell of a job, buddy. Uh, well, I appreciate it. Trying to live up to, to what you guys have done. And uh, it's been, it's been a wild ride. Thank you for, for telling some stories, for reliving oh, some, some. We didn't bore people too much. Oh, I, I was, I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. I, I think folks listening <laughs> will be too. Uh, really appreciate it. Always great talking to you. I know, I know the people uh, 
who are fans here in Louisville always enjoy hearing from you too. So thanks for, thanks for giving us some time and uh, well, look forward to seeing you in Columbus next year. Sounds great. Congrats on the newborn and go bats. All right. That was Matt Andrews. Great stuff. And uh, well, always enjoy hearing from Matt. And hopefully when we take a trip to Columbus this year, perhaps you'll hear from him on the, uh, on the radio broadcast as well. Certainly hoping uh, for that. As usual. Again, thanks for checking out the podcast, however you are. Uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, rate, review, subscribe, download. Uh, we appreciate anything as, as you check it out. Uh, no episode next week. We are in, obviously, preparations for opening day. Opening day is next Tuesday as we're recording this, Tuesday, April 5th. So uh, we won't have an episode next week. We'll be back with a new episode in a couple of weeks. We'll let you know who it's going to be. And uh, it'll be potentially, we don't have this for sure, but potentially Jim Kelch will be our guest in a couple of weeks to uh, to share his memories. He's got plenty of them. He started as uh, the Louisville Redbirds broadcaster in 1989, was with the team all the way through uh, 2009 before he went full-time with the Reds in 2010. So, Kelchi's got a lot of great memories and, uh, well, covered a wide swath of this franchise's history and hoping to catch up with him in a couple of weeks. We'll let you know that for sure. Until then, I'm Nick Curran. Thanks for being with us. It is Louisville Bats Franchise at 40. We'll talk to you next time.